Welcome to the Life, Business and Stuff podcast. My name is Jose Ucar. I'm a marketing specialist, NLP master trainer, communication and public speaking coach, entrepreneur and business owner. I decided to create this podcast as an opportunity for me to connect with amazing individuals while sharing tips, insights, anecdotes, and most importantly, laughter in the process. As you begin to listen, you will realize that I either fly solo or have friendly conversations with my guests about anything really. And you might wonder, what's in it for you? Well, mainly an opportunity to disconnect from your day-to-day and to connect with me and my guests. From there, anything that you want to take away, learn and apply to your life. Behind everything we do, there can be a learning opportunity if we so choose. So my question to you is, what are you going to learn today? I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 23 of the Life, Business and Stuff podcast with Jose Ucar. And today we have got Kathleen Hoffman. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kathleen. I don't know what I'm going to tell you because I don't know too much. So that's why I invited Kathleen today because I'm super curious about the things she does. We met on Clubhouse. I don't know if you've heard a lovely audience about that platform. That's where I met Kathleen. She's been joining our room for, wow, I mean, you join the room almost every day, Kathleen, don't you? I do. So you know what? Episode 23, I'm here with you. Super curious to hear about what you've got to say because I do know something about you. <laughs> but over to you, Kathleen, to into yourself and then we take it from there. I'm super excited about this conversation today. Okay, well, my name is Kathleen Hoffman. I live in New Jersey in the USA and I am a speaker. I am a trainer. I am a humanitarian clown. Um, which I think you want to hear more about. Um, I spent over 30 years in the corporate world uh, in a non-traditional job for women. Um, I always like to say I never had to wait online for the ladies room when I would go to technical conferences. Um, And there were times, one time uh, there were 100 people in the room and only two of us were women. It was me and the person who was giving the talk, which I love. Um, so sp- at some point during that, I, my company had a, uh, a program there where they would teach you how to be a clown and you go out and represent the company at local community service events. And I got hooked and I started taking professional classes and I ended up meeting and working with Dr. Patch Adams. So I kind of did that because I was in IT, which is very unfunny. Um, business. And I always had kind of a natural funny streak back to my childhood when I used to crack up my relatives and then I would cry because I thought they were laughing at me, not with me. Um, So that's a little bit about me. I hope that helps. It helps a big, big time, especially for the audience, because they don't know anything about you yet. And I'm getting to know you. That's the reason for this interview. 
Mm, so you mentioned a few interesting things in there. Definitely, I want to hear more about the work you did with Dr. Patch Adams. But before we dive into that, you became, I mean, you started to become a clown. So you hooked me with that bit. But then you said when you were a, chi a child, so you, you would cry because people, you know, weren't laughing with you, but at you. And within my map of the world, that's what people do with clowns, right? I mean, they laugh to them or with them, at them. So, I mean, how, how does all of that come together? And, you know, coming from, from your childhood, being like that, and then becoming a clown. So... Yeah, I guess as a child, I didn't really realize it as much that I would do funny stuff. And um, it just came to me naturally and people would laugh. And eventually I got the idea, not that I was the class clown and getting yelled at. I did go to Catholic schools, so but yelled at a lot for talking. Um, and believe it or not, I'm still in touch with at least five or six of my fellow blabbermouth girlfriends that I went through eight years of grammar school with, and we still get together and can't get a word in edgewise. Um, so I started to, there was a time in my life, especially when I started in my career, uh, when I was working in IT, where I kind of cut it back because I was already behind the eight ball because I was a woman. Um, so it was difficult in the field that I had chosen, which was IT, um, if I wanted to be taken seriously. Uh, but once I got good at that, and once I started moving up the line, then I got to play a little bit more. Um, and I started doing that at work. Um, I found that I had a knack for public speaking. I took Dale Carnegie. I did very well. I have a lot of pens. Um, if anybody takes Dale Carnegie, you know that every week they award two pens uh, to the uh, particular talks that you're doing that week. And I was also invited three times to be a graduate assistant. Um, and so I was able to take those skills and use them in the, the technical world to do amusing talks on technical uh, topics. And I was good at taking topics that were difficult to understand and making them fun. And I would have uh, a lot of invitations to speak. In fact, a couple of classes I did, people asked me to do again, um, because I, you know, like you wouldn't think that a database manager called IMS would be funny, uh, but I had put together a course, course called IMS Fundamentals. And I had a full room. I had people out in the hallway. They asked me to do it again um, because I was able to take a dry topic and inject humor into it. Um, in my world, the computer was always a person. I always talked about him. He does this and he does that. And people thought that was hilarious. I don't know why, but... Um, so then when I got an opportunity in the company to actually um, really bring out that funny side in the, in the clowning world, I just completely uh, grabbed it. And the company gave us a certain amount of training, but then I um, went and paid for some professional training, professional costume, professional custom-made shoes, um, wigs, makeup, all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, so... I came from this kind of, I was never a shy child, but uh, I'm not really sure why people are laughing at me. I, I learned to embrace it and to use it in my life. Um, and I was able to converge the two parts, the unfunny part and the funny part and bring them together. And, you know, later, I guess we talk about Patch, you know, we were working as clowns, but a lot of the stuff we saw was very unfunny. Um, and we were able to hopefully change people's lives a little bit by making them laugh. 
at a difficult time. So we, we're going to we're going to get to that point, which is the to me the reason behind this interview is because I really wanted to find out more about that. At the same time, you mentioned something interesting. Well, super interesting for me, and also as speakers. And as human beings, because, you know, we go through life sometimes taking things too seriously. So you've managed to make things that are boring or serious, yeah, turn them into something more fun. So I want, I want to ask you, Kathleen, what's the strategy for you whenever you see something that is kind of boring? Because sometimes I get, for example, financial advisors coming to me, how can I make my talk more engaging? Exactly. And then we start speaking about how boring that can be, but then how important it can, you know, it can be for the audience if you really make it into something more entertaining, not just the numbers and all of the details and how serious everything is. And, you know, so how do you do it? What comes to mind when you present to say, here I come with a boring topic, Kathleen, what do you do to make it fun? Uh, well, I think you, you look at the, everything in the topic and try to back away from it. Like, um, take the emotion out of it and look to see what things in it uh, you could kind of extract and maybe make funny. Um, you know, I did this thing about traversing a database, um, you know, when it, going through a database and I turned it into a skier that was, you know, skiing through the database and which way he went. And, um, and once again, referring to him as he, um, I think when you can humanize things like that, and I think you can do that. I, I was at a keynote um, last year, well, it was before the pandemic, um, where there was this guy was an accountant and he was hilarious um, because he was talking about really dry stuff, but he was, he was bringing it to life in a way that made it funny. He was making it live kind of the numbers and the, the, the concepts that he was discussing. He was making them um, come alive instead of just blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's the most important you have to be able to see in and and I just saw a great quote from from a, a great video clip from John Cleese where he talked about that too with comedy that sometimes you have to create the content and then back away from it and go look at it again without emotion and see what jumps out to you as the things that you could elaborate on or turn into something funny. Um, you know, he talks a lot about taking the emotion out of it. So, um, and also putting yourself in the place of the audience and saying, what would I wanna hear if I was sitting in their shoes? What are the points that I wanna get across um, in the lightest way possible? So uh, does that help? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm making sense of it in my mind. Uh, I'm an NLP master trainer and I love to use some of the NLP techniques. And when I ask you, then you're giving me something that is looking at things from a third perspective, which would be the fly on the wall. And when you look at things from as a fly on the wall, you are not, you are very objective to it. So you're taking emotions out and it is fantastic. So you're looking at it without emotions, as you said. I'm sort of trying to make sense of it in my mind because I really would like to start replicating this process. <laughs> And then you start sort of looking for, okay, how can I make them in my mind, okay, with my words? How can you make them more entertaining? Entertaining. How can you sort of make them stand out? You, you mentioned something I think take, it's not take the pressure off. No, that was then when you said the, the next thing you do, you go and step into the audience's shoes. And how would it be for the audience? How can you know, make them 
more light you said you mentioned a few words in there that well make it lighter and lighter. and you know putting yourself in that seat like you don't want to hear somebody you know just giving you facts and 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 you you want to make this stuff come to life so you want to look for the um the lightness of it or or things that you could elaborate on in a um a lighter way uh try to i love to you know i talked about using talking about the computer as a guy um you know to me that cracks people up but to me it it is an easy way to explain difficult topics um, where people can understand it if they're thinking that there's a little person in there that's doing this stuff. Um, and, and it's to, that's the key to it is to find that, that, um, the, that way to make it a little lighter and to connect with the audience in a way that they're not expecting. I'm a big fan of doing the unexpected. And I have a couple of my talks actually deal with that <clears throat> in how I've gotten out of situations with the police, how I've gotten out of traffic tickets, by doing something completely unexpected. And Monty Python taught me that. <laughs> I love that. And okay, it is something you do then, you bring them to life and then you give them names. So the computer you said is this guy. So would, would you mind sharing a little bit because you got me super curious, a little bit of one of those stories in which you speak and make fun or make this fun when you speak about a computer because a computer it is a computer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and that's the good part about making it a guy because, you know, like people always talk about, oh, it's the computer's fault. Um, you know, it was a computer error. Computers don't make mistakes. Computers only do what you tell them to do. So uh, when, when making it into um, a guy, it gives you a chance to blame someone. Um, so I would say, well, yeah, he did exactly what you told him to do which is rare for men, as you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we would you know, step through steps and, and say, well, when he gets here, he does this because that's what you told him to do. Um, so getting that point across that computers are simply machines and they do what we tell them to do. So if you don't tell them correctly, they're gonna make the mistake, only they're gonna make it a million times faster and more often than you can. Um, so that's one of the things that, um, that's one of the topics that I talk on is don't blame the computer. Blame the people who program the computer. Um, blame the people who you know, put that stuff up. And then people are like, they kind of take a step back and they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. I'm gonna say something the next time someone tells me it's a computer error. I'm gonna talk back to them. Um, so in my end, defense of computers, so. Cool. I love that. So it's humanizing some, you know, elements or objects. Yes. Cool. And you mentioned the names of your talks. Would you mind repeating them? And can we find them online somewhere? Because I personally would like to watch them or listen to them. Um, well, I'm in the process of putting them up on YouTube. So I'm building okay. a YouTube channel. Um, but I just one of my quick um, do something unexpected stories. Uh, one of the times I was in Moscow, I was in Moscow a bunch of times. And one time we weren't in our clown clothes, but we were down in the metro and you're not allowed to take pictures in the metro in Moscow because it's part of the civil defense system there. Um, the, the metro is very deep. The idea would be that the people would go down there, they would take the trains off the track and they would be able to get around the whole city 
through the tunnels. So you're not allowed to take pictures. So of course, one of the guys I'm with takes out his camera because the stations are beautiful. They're like marble. They've got all this beautiful artwork. He takes out his camera, takes a picture. Next thing we know, two cops yelling at us in Russian. None of us spoke Russian. We didn't have a Russian speaker with her, with us. And so we're like, okay, what are we going to do? So my friend Jeff reaches into his pocket, takes out a balloon, blows it up and hands it to the cop. And the meantime, we're getting a crowd around us, you know, because they, they, they knew we didn't speak English. And so the cop just kind of looks at the balloon and, and he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he was like, um, yeah, okay. And then the other guy was like, where's my balloon? Um, so Jeff takes another balloon out, blows it up, hands it to the other cop. And the two of them walk off with their balloons to some secret door somewhere. And that was it. We got away with it. Um, so uh, the, we've used, uh, you know, using some humor and you, and that's part of what I like to talk about is injecting humor into everything to, to lighten up situations and to um, use it as a weapon instead of anger. Use it as a weapon instead of anger. I'll quote you on that. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Kathleen. I, I love the story. Going back to the power of stories. And, and I could see your colleague just giving, giving the balloons to the officers, the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is a very natural way to go into the work you've done with, you know, Dr. Patch Adams, because we're speaking about humor, how humor can heal. Use it as a weapon. So over to you. Tell me, tell me all about it within reason, because I don't you know. I'm sure if we started, we'd be speaking here for a few hours, wouldn't we? Well, Patch, um, I, I got involved with Patch actually from one of my um, uh, friends in the clown troupe with me in the company. You know, she had found out found out about him, his mission, what he was doing, and so you really kind of applied to go with him. Um, this was back we we always say BM before a movie. Um, because things changed after that. Uh, but he would actually, he's a big letter writer. Not, he's not somebody that talks on the phone a lot. He loves to write letters. I, and he has this beautiful um, handwriting and I, I, I've kept all his letters um, that I've gotten from him over the years. Um, and he, cause he wants to have people that get what he's doing and are gonna work really hard and not be coming with him just to be a tourist. Um, and we went, and those days I actually traveled in my clown character on the airplane. So we flew to Moscow from Newark, New Jersey um, in my full clown. I, I had my makeup on for probably more than 24 hours, you know, the whole process. Um, so basically what, what Patch does is he takes a group of clowns to Russia for two weeks and we can, um, Moscow, we can St. Petersburg connected by the most wild overnight train ride you have ever experienced <laughs> from Moscow. Imagine a clown full of cars on an overnight train from in, Moscow in to St. Petersburg. <laughs> Yeah, it was, um, um, yeah, but it was interesting. But um, so, but we laugh about it, but we worked really hard. We would do anywhere between, um, we, we, we would go to hospitals, orphanages. We would go to old folks' homes. We would go to soup kitchens. We would go out on the street. Um, and the idea was just to spread the message of love and humor and hope. Um, 
mostly everybody on the trip didn't speak Russian. So pretty much everything we were doing was nonverbal. Um, Patch's clown character is nonverbal. He doesn't really have a name. He has this hat that he puts on that has a duck on his head. And we all know that once he puts the duck on that he's in character and there's no, he's, you're not communicating with him um, because he's a five-year-old child who's kind of nonverbal. Um, so we would go into these hospitals and incredibly, they gave us pretty much free reign. Seriously, it was so different than the work we did in American hospitals, um, where we had to go through the, the hospital's training program and we had to get certified. We had to check with the nursing station. We were laying in bed with these kids. We were picking them up. You know, we were all sorts of things, not speaking um, Russian. And we would just go in and play with these kids. Um, some of them in really difficult situations, we would get, at the time, um, Moscow was, was go, or, well, actually all of Russia was going through one of the waves of the Chernobyl fallout, um, the Chernobyl accident. And it was now into pediatric cancer because it was the children of the people that were exposed. And the way that they dealt with it in Russia was they would, um, you had to go to like a city center to get treated. And one of the parents would come with the child. They were expected to come with the child. They would leave the family behind. They would come to these huge hospitals in Moscow and St. Petersburg for the child to be treated. And they were woefully short on supplies and things. So we would be playing with kids that were sitting in a hallway getting chemo. You know, while they had the line in their arm, we would be sitting there distracting them. Um, probably one of the worst, the hardest things for me um, was we would uh, go into the burn units and distract the kids when they were getting their bandages changed, um, be, which is incredibly painful process. Uh, we would, you know, be playing with kids that were really, really sick. I mean, I actually... Uh, I got in trouble because I let this, this father came and got me, pulled me out of the group and took his, his daughter was dying. She died that night. And he just wanted me to come and sit with her. And just to see the reaction on her face, I didn't even have to do anything. She was just so happy to see me. And she held my hand. She squeezed my hand. She gave me a little bracelet she was wearing. Um, you know, at that point in time, she could hardly speak. Um, but to know that I could be there and share those moments with her and her father, because her father was just so happy. He, he was at his wit's end as to how to help her. So he went and found a clown and he brought the clown in to sit with her. Um, and that was a tremendously you know, moving um, time situation. So um, that's the kind of work we would do with Patch. I have to say one of my, one of my most fun um, gigs that we would have is they have a, a um, an uh, old person's home in Moscow that's dedicated to performers. It's all people that were on the stage. They were opera singers. They were ballet dancers. They were they were symphony music musicians. Um, they were all you know people on the stage, things like that. And the cool thing about it is when we would go there, they were so excited to see us that they would perform for us. We would go down to their auditorium, and they would all we would sit and be the audience, and they would all perform for us. And they looked forward to seeing us every year. They just got so excited. They were like waiting at the door for us. So, wow. um, it, so that, that's the kind of impact. The people in Russia know Patch. They call him Pitch. <laughs> it's more like Pitch. Um, 
And, you know, I don't, I have to say that I've kind of fallen away. So I'm not really sure. I know they did a virtual tour last year. Um, but that's the whole idea is to just go there and be silly and to connect with the people. And, but also to have these, we had these really connecting, moving experiences and sure. in some cases, dangerous experiences. Wow. Um, I mean, the question that I would really like to ask you, thank you for the story. And it is amazing what, I mean, how you've been helping, especially children, as you share in that hospital in, in St. Pete's, right? Well, we had, we had hospitals, you know, Moscow. Yeah, hospitals. So, mm. yeah. And I mean, imagine, I mean, you, you put those images in my head as you were sharing the story. So um, I'm seeing this girl that is, you know, going to be passing away soon. So I'm super interested, Kathleen, what are you thinking about to be funny in front of a person that is in that situation? It's hard um, because while you're in there with the person, you need to be as up and as happy and, and uh, um, not, not so much as um, the kind of really silly we would get with the little kids when we got in the room, but just mm. letting her know I was there and smiling. And I had a few little toys that I was, you know, playing with, with her and, and uh, it's, it's holding it back and completely taking yourself out of the picture and just thinking about the person, the people that you're with. Um, and then you go out afterwards and you cry your eyes out. Can you imagine? Know, I like cried the whole way back to the hotel on the bus that night. Um, but we were all used to it and we were all there for each other. And um, Kathleen, were, were you using, I mean, humor when you work with a girl? Because that's what I'm, I mean, of course, it is a very sad situation. And the beauty of what you guys do is that you still can manage, you know, your emotions in a way that you can bring humor that in a way heals, not to say heals mm -hmm. the human being, but can heal the state of that person as they're going through that situation, right? Right. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's hard to describe, you know, because I've had people ask me that before. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, I always look around for things I can play with um, in the room. Um, you know, that that one was a little bit different because I kind of just sat with her and held her hand. And um, I think I sang to her a little bit. I sang some funny songs and that made her laugh. And um, of course, she had no idea what I was doing or singing. But in some cases, the, the melodies are familiar. It's just that the language is different, that, you know, the nursery rhymes kind of things. Um, so that was a really specialized um, situation. But the the part is the whole idea of being of diversion it's like look over here don't look over here look over here um what can i do to make you look over here um and just taking saying don't look at you look at me i'm funny look at look at my face i'm funny you know so um that's a big thing is is that idea of um of distracting them And for that time that they're not thinking about the pain, they're not thinking about what they're going through. They're just laughing. They're being, we're playing, we've got toys. We're playing with them. I got my foot stuck in the floor. I can't move my foot. Oh my God, come and help me. My foot stuck, you know, and uh, you know, we're kind of pantomiming this stuff and the kids are all over and they're pulling my arm, trying to help me get my foot unstuck from the floor. So um, it's, it's that kind of thing. I think it's the big thing is distraction. Um, and just using whatever's in the room to be funny. Patch is a master of that. 
He is just, he can take anything. I mean, I watched him take a mop away from a lady that was cleaning the lobby in the hotel we were with in Moscow. And it was, we were like rolling on the floor, just watching him. He started mopping the floor and she was like, she thought she was going to get in trouble. And um, so it's being aware of the situation, being aware of the state of the people that are around you too. Um, You know, like I, I mentioned that when the father was at, he was losing his daughter, you know? Yeah. What can I do to, to help her? Um, so it's, it's situational awareness is probably really important too. And that's the way it is as a speaker mm. um, is, is watching the audience and seeing how they're reacting to things. Absolutely. So it's that distraction and using the environment and being aware of everything that's happening around you and that person as well. So getting them in my mind is uh, the way I understand that get the person off their head. Mm-hmm. And bring them, bring their attention to you. One more question. Well, I've got plenty, Kathleen, because yeah. I just love this, especially the structure that leads to do what you do. What would you say is the difference that makes the difference in all of this approach? Um, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, it's, you know, what, what would you say is the element, the key element in everything that you do that makes the difference? To, the, the pe- to people's lives. Okay. I, I, I personally think a big thing and, and where I see a lot of people, I think, um, uh, go wrong is it's not about you. It's about them. It's about the people that you're talking to. It's about the people you're interacting with and you need to get out. It's got nothing to do with me at all. It's about what I can do for you, what I can, what I can tell my audience, what I can connect with them, what... Um, what I can, the journey I can take them on, the thing I can make them share with me, um, you know, what it's like to hold a little boy that um, has been getting treated for leukemia and ha- whose face is all puffed up from prednisone and who never saw um, the little candy that I gave him before and was just thought it was like the greatest thing he ever tasted. So it wasn't about me. It was about him. What can I do um, to make him smile? So um I, I think that selflessness is kind of the most important thing in those kinds of situations. And I think it's really important as a speaker too. You know, I, nothing turns me off more than going and having somebody list their credentials for me. Um, you know, when I, I had a very well-known speaker that I paid a good deal of money to, to go see. And the first 15, 20 minutes was him telling us all about how many books he sold and, you know, what a, a great writer he was and how many people he trained. And it's like, well, that's kind of not why I'm here. Tell me, you know, how you're going to change me. Tell me what you're giving me. And so I think that's the most important thing as a speaker is what are the people going to leave the room with? How are they going to feel? Am I going to make them cry? Probably. It's depending on the story I tell. I can make them cry. I can make everybody cry. Um, that's not one of my, um, kids that I'm entertaining. I don't make them cry. I make them laugh. So I get excited when I talk about this stuff. Absolutely. And so do I look, if, if you were going to put a smile on my face, how would you do that? Say grumpy Jose comes in today. What would you pick on? What, how would you do it? Uh, Well, I'd ask you where you got that hat. To get rid of the hat. Always wear a hat. <laughs> Are we afraid to know what's underneath the hat? 
no, 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 no. I won't take it off today because I've got my the earphones on. And see now, Molly would be asking you, "What's wrong with your ears? Are you Mickey Mouse? Like, what? Are, what's that thing on your ears? You know, because Molly questions everything, and uh, um, so it'd be basically just playing with whatever was available. Like, what, what? What's that for? What do you need that for? Is your head cold? <laughs> okay, I like it. So questioning, questioning everything that you see. Any anything else? Give me more because I'm liking it. So Grumpy Jose is still, you know, is still here. It's just. Don't be, don't be grumpy. What's the waste time being grumpy? Unless you're a dwarf. It's okay to be grumpy if you're a dwarf. Because, you know, six out of seven dwarfs aren't grumpy. Oh, interesting, interesting fact. Or you can say one of seven dwarfs is grumpy. Although Elliot yelled at me for using that because don't offend dwarves. <laughs> it's like... Okay, I was talking about, you know, Snow White's dwarves, but that's okay. She calls them dwarves. Well, that, yeah, there could be somebody offended. Well, it depends on how you say it anyway, as yes. well, I like to believe. Okay, well, I mean, Kathleen, right away, you put several smiles on my face. You got me laughing about the fact that I'm wearing the hat, just questioning why I have the hat, which I could say, well, it's, you know, it's nice because I don't need to comb my hair or anything. So straight out of the shower, boom, on. Do I look like Mickey Mouse or not? Now, um, do I sound like Mickey Mouse? Oh, hello, Kathleen. <laughs> okay. Kathleen, it's been a pleasure. We've been speaking for maybe around 30 minutes now. And I would like to ask you a question that I ask to all of my guests, which is, how would you like to call this episode? Ah, uh, well, how about using humor as a weapon. Using humor as a weapon with Kathleen Hoffman. What do you I think? Like I like that, yeah, I like that. I wish more people would reach for humor hmm. because one of the big things I've found in my, in my travels um, in a number of different countries, not just Russia, but Bosnia, Italy, other places we were, people are people and people are great. And everywhere we went, we had fun with the people that were there. It's the governments that go and screw everything up. And, you know, I grew up at the end of the Cold War, you know, when people told me Russians were bad and some of my best friends now are Russians. I love, 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 love the Russian people. They're amazing. They've been through so much and they're still there and I love them. So just think of people as people, forget about the borders, forget about the language, just have fun. Just have fun. You know what? I think that's the best advice because as you're having fun, you're in a better place and you're impacting people differently the way in which you've shared already. So you are transforming people's lives. Pizza helps too. Pizza. So humor and everybody, pizza. Everybody loves to eat pizza. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you just gave me an angle. How about using humor as a weapon and eat pizza? Yes. Well, let's see. I'll play around with that okay. one. And, okay. Cool. Right. Kathleen incredible you know opportunity to chat with you where can people find you say you know the the audience is listening to this they're like yeah i want to get in touch with kathleen i want kathleen to make me laugh or anything whatever that might be where do they reach you i'm on linkedin as kathleen hoffman i'm on facebook at speaking of possibilities kathleen hoffman i'm on instagram as Kathleen possibilities. 
And what I miss, Twitter is Kathleen Speaks. <laughs> I believe. Um, I'm working on my webpage. That will be speakingofpossibilities.com. There's just a placeholder out there right now, but it's coming. So Fantastic. I'm excited. Well, incredible audience. As you listen to this, connect with Kathleen, follow her. You can also join us on Clubhouse and then Kathleen speaks there as well. It is always a pleasure to have you there with us, Kathleen. And I think this is it. I mean, one final word, piece of advice you would like to leave us with. Um, I, once again, I would just say, um, look for the humor in every situation before you get angry. Um, try to find a way out without using anger. Use, try, to, try to see the funny in everything. And there's always a little bit of funny. Always, even at even at my father's funeral, we found some funny. <laughs> my brother and I, so um, not a lot, but we did. Um, but there's, it's always there. It's just always you. You need to remember to look for it. Wow, powerful! That is a perfect ending for today's episode, Kathleen. I won't say anything else, but thank you for being here with us today, sharing your excellence with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great opportunity. Like I said, I love talking about clowning. So it's fun stuff. I loved it and I learned a lot. So I look forward to getting this ready out there so people can benefit from your excellence as well. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank, Thank you, you Jose. Thank you so oh, much. See you in Clubhouse. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. I invite you to subscribe to the show on Anchor FM, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts. And if you wish, leave a review and share the show with your work colleagues, friends and family. If you're curious about what I do, you can visit my website www.finding-excellence.com You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. Keep in touch and stay tuned for new episodes. Wish you the very best.